In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. You don't want your prayers hindered if you are praying. Mm -hmm. Then be right with your wife. Don't do wrong by her. Be faithful to her. Love her no matter what. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and as you could tell, I'm here with our producer, co-host, and good friend, Dale Culver. How you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. Are you surviving the t-shirt mailings? Oh, yes. There have been so many. <laughs> hey, we need to let our guys know. Listen, guys, we have an inventory of old conference shirts. They are next-level t-shirts, which is my favorite t-shirt. If you're a big guy with big guns, these things are awesome. Anyway... We are giving those away. We're just going to ship them out to you. Just go to our website, fill out a really brief survey, and we will ship those on out to you wherever you're at. So make sure you do that. We have limited supplies and limited sizes. Some guys are actually getting a dry fit polo because we didn't have certain shirt sizes. Yeah, we don't have any mediums except for fancy. Yeah, so if you are a little guy and you want a medium, you're well, going to get hooked up with those, a real nice dry fit. Those mediums say the great hunt for God are... They're, an, they're our older brand, yeah. Yes. So, hey, make sure you guys get those to us. Really would appreciate that. Hey, I, I want to let our, our listeners know today that today is the first of a half dozen strategic times a year that we interview what we are now calling our Average Joe's Arena Heroes. Now, we highlight these guys weekly on our equipping blast. So if you send us an email and you give us a, a, a great word of affirmation or encouragement or, or you tell us a story about how you have seen a victory in your life because of our ministry. We will put that on our equipping blast that goes out once a week to men from all over the world. But but these arena heroes, these average Joes are guys just like you and me who are in the arena fighting, and they're fighting for those people that they love and those causes they love. They haven't written books. They aren't authors. They don't have their own ministry as far as a nonprofit ministry per se. They're just guys out there getting it done. Now, don't get me wrong. Our experts and authors will still be our bread and butter interview. That's that's our that's our sweet spot, really, as far as our our bread and butter. But these average Joes are are our local heroes in the men in the arena, and I am really excited about today's guest because not only is he one of our arena coaches on Facebook, he's also getting ready to launch a virtual team. He's uh, doing some cool things. He's he's got a story 
that we need to hear about. And I think as we age, I think it's really important. And so, uh, but before we bring him on, do you have a man word for me? It is teacher. Oh, thanks for letting me guess. I just threw it out there. You just like, yeah. I wasn't even in the batter's box yet, and you pitched it. I mean, I, that's that's an umpire would not even there. count that. I, I figured you would have guessed that because of our guest. No, no. Okay, t- t- why teacher? Tell me why. Yeah, because I think uh, as men we should be teaching others, uh, especially our own kids, and, and trying to find others around us that we can pour our life into and teach them uh, values and yeah. integrity and character and all that good stuff. Yeah, I think that's a huge role of a, a man is that, you know, in education, a lot of times women are the educators, but when it comes to the home, I think men really do need to do a, a lot of the teaching, partnering with the wife. And so I asked a pastor friend of mine this morning, I said, what would happen to your church if every man in your church stepped up and said, hey, how can I serve? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, it changes the church. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a book coming out in September. I don't have a title for it yet, but it's basically 90 Weeks of Transforming Your Church. We're going to take our two original playbooks, combine them, and give churches a way to launch not only a not only the men's ministry model, but we're going to give them 90 weeks of curriculum. It's really, really, I'm really excited about this. So, it's hey, awesome. but, but let's get on here and bring on my new friend, George Selsky. He is 73 years old, lives in Jamestown, New York. Been married to his beautiful wife, Annette, for 54 years this July. Dale, 54 years. Easy peasy. <laughs> That's impressive. So so he's retired from Marriott, and uh, where he now drives a bus two days a week doing medical transportation, which is super, super cool. He's been a Gideon for over 20 years, and if you know what those guys are, the ones handing Bibles out, on college at the outside of college campuses, and I remember when I was a young guy getting a couple of those, and they had a camel one I really liked. He's also the deacon at his church, getting ready as I shared uh, to launch a virtual team with the men in the arena, and he is one of our uh, arena coaches on the men arena forum. And I'm really excited to bring George on. So, George, how you doing, man? Uh, doing all right. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you for asking. <laughs> hey, before we get into this thing, why don't you give us a couple minutes and tell us your personal life, things you enjoy, hobbies, or anything else you'd like to share with the guys? Well, I started out being, uh, you know, formally educated in the fine arts, and I got into painting, and I still do some of that. I still create artwork and so on and so forth. Uh, but um, graduated high school in Jamestown, uh, you know, New York, and. After that was over, I went into the military in 1966, July of 66, did a two-year tour, came back in 68. I served as a medic, um, came back here, tried going to school, but I was pretty wild and crazy in those days, so I just, you know, uh, school wasn't for me. I got into construction work and uh, really enjoyed it and stayed with that, and then uh you know, throughout uh, the course of time uh, being uh, in that line of work, I eventually uh, uh, went back to school at a late age. I was only 40 years old, finished my degree work, hmm. and then went to work for Marriott Management Services. And I was with them up until I retired from them in 2006. And then I went to uh, work for Bethel Baptist Christian Academy. They wanted me to teach. Uh, wasn't really looking for it. It's it's like all these things that come up, I'm rarely looking for them. It's like the Lord puts them in my way and I can either say yes or no. So uh, I did that for six years and uh, put together, my wife and I put together an international program while we were there. And we ourselves have hosted 15 international students. Oh, wow. 
uh, from all over the world, and uh, we're in constant contact with them. So I don't depend on news for any kind of real answers. I just give them a call or <laughs> they get a hold of me on Facebook and tell me what's really going on. I hear you. And uh, yeah, so I, uh, you know, uh, now, I mean, I, I retired again from the academy. Oh, when was it? 2013 or 14? I can't remember which. I think it was 14. And then uh, uh, after my wife and I traveled to Europe, I've got relatives over there. I've got several cousins who visited them in Germany. Um, you know, I just, uh, did nothing for a period of time except just some artwork, but uh, I wanted to, uh, if you're like me, you need to go someplace, um, to have a discipline over your head. I mean, some people can do it on their own. I need an office to go to. I need yeah. somewhere to go to where, where people hold me accountable for what I'm doing. Yep. And yep. I, as a matter of fact, I like that. And, uh, so I, I got into this, uh, bus driving gig and, uh, we have different routes. We have normal city routes that drive like a city bus. But to me, that was like uh, driving in a squirrel cage all day. So <laughs> I like the medical transportation part of it. They give you a taste of all of it, what you like best. So I like that the best. I like the way I was able to interact with people and tell them about Jesus. Because a lot of these folks, if they're going to dialysis and so on and so forth, which a lot of my people are, uh, they're, they're, they're on borrowed time. They're, yeah. They've only got so much time left and most of them will not get a transplant because they basically have so many other conditions like diabetes and other health problems where they couldn't, they'd never survive the anesthetic. Yeah. You know, but that's where I'm at today, enjoying it and, uh, taking care of my wife, which back in 2006 or no, sorry, 2005 was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And uh, that's one of those things that you never expect your spouse to come down with. Mm. Well, I nobody do wanna, ever expects that. No, and I, yeah. I really want to camp on that a little bit later on in the podcast. But before we do that, I want to throw you into our rapid fire round. Okay. Now, do you think you can handle this? I hope so. I think you can. So what I'm doing, George, is I'm going old school. We're going to go back way back to one of our to our earliest episodes, and I'm going to do a finish the sentence round. So the, okay. way, the way the rapid fire round works is I'm going to, I'm going to give you this part of the sentence. I just want you to finish it and give a one sentence explanation. So it's really fast. Okay. So I've got five okay. of them. All right. Here's the first one. I love New York because it's my home. Yeah. Cause I, you went to high school there even you've yeah. been born and raised. Okay. And you're in rural New York. Uh, yeah, we're in Western New York. It's very rural. Okay. Here's the next one. Here we go. This one's going to be fun. If I were governor of New York for a day, I would. <laughs> Separate from New York City. <laughs> oh, we've had guys say order pizza for the whole state. Separate from New York City. Yeah, because that's what people don't realize that, that New York City and New York are like totally different places, right? Two different worlds. Two different worlds. And so when you hear New York, you go, oh, you're that guy. But I'm watching you on Zoom, and you're in the country somewhere. You've got trees behind you. You know, it's like a totally yeah, different world. we're in a suburb called West Ellicott. It's a suburb of Jamestown, which is now around 30,000 people. All of Chautauqua County is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a little over 100,000, somewhere in that neighborhood. The whole county, yeah. That's about the size yeah. of our county, actually, Yamhill County. Yeah. Right here in Oregon. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, Okay, next one. I get ticked off when... Boy, let me count the ways. No. Um, 
I, I guess when things don't go my way. Okay. You know, yeah. Yeah. Being a military medic, uh, you know, you've seen things not go your way. I'm sure. Oh, lots of things. Were you in the, what, what branch were you serving in? I was in the army. All right. Well, yeah. Hey, thank you for that. My father-in-law was a, a Marine during, uh, the Vietnam war. So he, he was in it too. So I'm sure the medics purple star award winner. So the medics were definitely guys they relied on. Yeah. We, we walked on water. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But in the Marines, they don't call them medics. What do they call them? Corman? What do they call Corman. them? Corman. Yeah. Corman. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Next question. One thing, if I could change one thing about my life, it would be. Uh, wish I'd have got to know Jesus earlier. Ah, yeah. Cause you were in, you said 40, early forties. I was, uh, 38 years old, 38 and a half when Christ came into my life. Man, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of bad water under the bridge by that time, huh? Oh, lots. Yeah. But you know, God is gracious and he showed up, man. That's really that's all exciting. I know. That's really exciting. Yeah. Did you have, did you find from that experience of coming to Christ later in life that you had a lot of baggage that you had to deal with from those 38 years prior? Well, for 14 years, I was on pharmaceutical drugs. I was a drunk, you know, all those things, uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, a lot of baggage. Wow. Wow. Uh, a lot of things that I had to deal with. And praise God that the Lord sent a man named Neil Nelson in my life. And I'll, he's exactly what I needed. He's exactly what I needed. Wow. And uh, it was great. It was great. That's really yeah. cool. That's a, I love the story of how God just redeems. He's just all about redemption, man. It's just really cool. That's right. Really, really That's cool. That's right. I mean, there are yeah. a lot of guys who listen to this podcast, and they're saying, hey, I've done things, man, that you don't even realize. And I go, you know what? There's nothing that you've done that is too big for God to handle. You know? No, nothing. nothing. <laughs> so, Not all right. a thing. No. And so, hey, last question, a rapid fire round. I'm going to move into interview questions. One thing I love about my wife is? Everything. <laughs> Scoring points, baby. That's how you're married for 54 years right there. <laughs> She's the greatest, Jim. I mean, she's the greatest thing that ever happened to me next to Jesus. Oh man, that's so cool. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, I just, uh, yeah. I mean, she's the best. She really is. So, so you've been involved in the with the men in the arena, our organization for probably I'm going to say about two or three years. Uh, I think uh, Mike called me up from you guys were having a board meeting out in Colorado. And asked me if I was interested, and I'm thinking that was, I don't know, a little over a year ago. Does that sound about right? Oh, I thought it was a year and a half. Okay, but you were involved. How year long and a half. Been, how long have you been involved in the Men's Arena Forum on Facebook? Uh, before I became a coach, on and off, I would leave some remarks or I would leave a post, you know, that type of thing. I'd read some of the stuff that was going on. I thought you guys were, you know, really a decent ministry. So even though you're from the West Coast. I'll tell you what that is. It is crazy how few ministries for men are there on the West Coast. It's it's. Real, I just got asked to be on the NCMM board of directors, and I'm the only guy this side of St. Louis is the closest guy to uh, board member to us. It's just crazy. So let me ask yeah. this question: Why you know at one we saw you, we watched you interact on the forum and uh, your your posts, and and just the way you you know the way that you interacted when a guy said something stupid you didn't agree with, and just you really did a great job, uh, very tactful and wise. At, at what point did you decide and realize, hey, I, I, this arena coach thing may be something I could do, where you get in there and you're actually monitoring with 13 other arena coaches. You monitor the whole page, the whole group, the forum. 
Well, I think what's what's made me a, a more uh, I don't know what to say. Um, I interact with other people. I've always interacted with other people well, primarily because of my sense of humor. Yeah. But uh, I've I've learned to interact with people even better because I've been on the board so long on a church board, and and my years in in management have taught me to listen to what other people have to say, uh, be respectful of them, even though you might think it's silly, but, you know, just, just take the time to listen to them because they're really trying to say something. So take the time to do that. And it's taught me that, uh, having my own way all the time is not the right way to go. So, um, I mean, I sitting on the church board, I've got, sometimes I have an idea and you know, might have one or two guys agree with me and that, we listen to it for a while and I go, maybe that wasn't such a good idea, you know, but, uh, in the end, whatever we decide to do, it's yes and amen and we move on. Yeah. And, uh, there's no ill feelings. We just, that's the deal, man. Just move forward. Uh, much like the military. I mean, you may not like it, but do it, you know, just get it done. Yeah. And that's, that's the way it is. Yeah. And our board of directors, it's a 100% yes or nothing. If one person, one guy says, no, we don't do it. We don't, we don't. Uh, we aren't uh, great parliamentarians. We aren't uh, great uh, Roberts Rules of Order guides. We just say, "Hey, if God is in this, we're all going to agree, and we're going to press on from there." And and you learn to interact, and you learn to uh, move yeah. with grace yeah. and with tact. Yeah. And yeah, it's right. good, man. So speaking of grace and tact, how does a guy stay married? Stay married to one woman for fifty-four years? I mean, you've had a you you lived thirty-eight years without Christ. You you said that you're involved with uh, uh, pills and alcohol. How how does how does um and then you came to Christ? So you know I'm wondering where your wife was in the process of your Christianity. Was she a Christian? Where was she? How do you make a marriage like that work with all of these? You were in the military. How do you how do you make a marriage work after a half a decade with all of these variables in play? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to know. I'm going to go. I'm I'm on 29 years now, so I've been with her 31 well, almost. Uh, married 29. Well, well, Jim, we, my wife and I, the way we started out, we eloped. We didn't have no fancy wedding or anything like that. We were a couple of poor kids from Jamestown, New York. Uh, came from a couple of families that weren't well off, and uh, all we knew is when we got married, we were going from some place that was. We felt we were going someplace better than from where we'd been. Uh, we would, we had both been brought up in Roman Catholicism and, uh, I turned my back on that when I was a sophomore in high school. I just said, I don't know what those folks are doing back there, but I just want to go have me a good time. <laughs> and, uh, so, so I did, I set out to do that, but the best analogy I could give to that is like, it's, you know what a boomerang is? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, the best analogy I can make is I, I, I formed my own boomerang and threw it. And that sucker came back and almost shredded me to pieces, <laughs> you know. And so, you know, I, I I was just wild. I mean, I I figured if the marriage didn't work, we'd just get divorced, call it a quits, you know, yeah. that type of thing. But my wife, she was of a different mindset. And she was way more committed than I ever was at that period of time, early on, say the first 10, 15 years. And, uh, she just, her personal commitment, a lot of times she told me, she said, you know, and this was years later, she said, the only thing that kept me hanging in there, George, was that, you know, I loved you, but I didn't like you very much. But oh, I would yeah. remember, 
I would remember those marriage vows. She said, I would remember those marriage vows and I took them serious, even though maybe you didn't, <laughs> you know, Ouch. and I, I didn't take them one way or the other. It was just another afternoon for me, you know, but, um, yeah, it, uh, I give credit to our marriage being together more to her than anything I ever did. And, uh, you know, she just stayed there with me no matter what supportive after I began to get sober and, and, uh, you know, I was, I was involved in AA and so on and so forth and got that sponsor. I was talking about Neil Nelson. I mean, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, it was great. And she was very supportive of that. And she went to the Al-Anon part of it. Mm. because believe me, addiction, whether it's alcohol, drugs, I don't care what it is. It's a family illness. Yeah. It's going to kill everybody around you. Yeah. You know, it's just going to destroy you. And, uh, you got to come to realize that, you know, but this man that I asked to come into my life, he was a Christian and I knew he was a Christian. And at that time I didn't have much use for Christians. (laughs) And, uh, so, but he came into my life and I'll tell you, he was just exactly what I needed. I mean, God sent a man to me that was a lot like me. And, uh, you know, he gave me his testimony and so on and so forth. And, and I knew he wasn't perfect, but I, I, I would go to his house and saw how he was interacting with his family, saw how he was uh, being a father and a husband. And I said, man, I don't got what you got and I want it. Wow. I, I, want, I want what you got. And he told me how to get it. And after I spent an evening with him telling him every dirty, rotten thing I'd ever done in my life that I could remember, it was shortly after that that Christ came into my life. I was in my own home. And I, I today, I didn't know what it was then, but I knew it was the Holy Spirit was just on me telling me, George, you ain't going to make it without Jesus. Mm. You just ain't going to make it. Mm. So I gave my life to Christ that night. I've never been the same since. So now was Annette a Christian at the time? She became, she was, she was religious. In other words, she had the Catholicism under her belt. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. But she was not a born again believer in any way, shape or form. So, you know, it was shortly after that, after my coming to Christ, that she came to Christ. Because if you ask her, she'll tell you, she noticed the change in me immediately. Wow. And she noticed the way I was talking, the way I was behaving, you know, all the changes that that attracted her and she 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 came to the lord so we love to say when you a know. man gets it everyone wins so you would say that's yeah, a fact yeah that is that's a fact yeah people go oh i don't know if i feel comfortable well hey listen when a man loses when a man doesn't get it everyone loses and so it makes sense that the only way that we can fix the losing part of it is we help men to win and then they'll help yeah. their families to win. It just makes sense. We've yeah, given our sure. life to that truth. So, uh, no, I appreciate that story. That is really, really cool. So, so you've been together fifty-four years. So, tell us a little bit about Annette. What you know? What tell you know? She sounds like she's very loyal and faithful. You know what? What part about her is there? One part that really stands out in your mind? Uh <laughs> boy, I've painted her portrait several times, and I wish I could capture it in that, but I can't. Uh huh. Uh, you know, but, um, she's just devoted and loyal. And I'll tell you something. Loyalty is something that is a rare commodity nowadays, Mm -hmm. whether it's in a person's professional life or their married life or whatever, you know, um, 
you know, I've talked to, I've worked with a number of guys. Um, they're having trouble in their marriages, just like guys did with me. And, uh, you know, I tell them things that I did. I don't instruct them to do anything. I just tell them what happened to me and what worked for me. And now if, if they want to try that, that's fine, you know, but, uh, I don't actually tell them to do anything. Uh, I, th I figure most guys have got that already figured out anyway. I mean, if you're messed up in your marriage, you should have it pretty much in, your, in the forefront of your mind of what's bothering you and what's messed up about you and so on and so forth. If you're just looking at her or she's the one that's messed up, I think you're, there, there's some legitimacy to that, but there's, you got to look at deeper than that. You got to get deeper than Like, when did you fall out of love with your wife? I had to literally pray, Jim, to fall in love with my wife again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so, I mean, if you're not doing that, you're not even getting off square one. You know, uh, it, it, as far as I'm concerned, you know, you got to you got to ask the Lord, help me fall in love with my wife the way I was, you know, even better. And what happens is it's even better. That's what happens. That's what happened to me. And um, but uh, I, I think her strongest trait is her loyalty and commitment to marriage and to anything that she decides to do. She's committed to it. You know, she teaches the little ones here at uh, in the Iwana program. She was involved with that for a while. When we were with the Assemblies of God, she was involved with uh, the cubbies there and that type of thing. The you know the little the little ones. And I'm I'm I got a, I, I feel there's a special crown in heaven for the people that are involved with little kids. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you, because I mean if it's one thing I. It, I enjoy being around them, but after a while, they start driving me crazy. You know, but, uh, she has the patience and the fortitude and the, and, and and the diligence to just hang in there with them. You know, and it uh, it's great. You know, it really is. But uh, those those would be the qualities. Well, that's that's interesting. Deal. There's a story. Deal Moody came home from a revival service, and his wife said, "How did it go?" And he goes, "Well, two and a half people came to Christ." tonight and she said oh that's cool so two two adults and one child and he said no two children and one adult <laughs> yeah. two and a half so really cool yeah. so I, I love the word i love these words you're using to describe your wife devoted committed and loyal you know but but i, I see there's been a shift in in that so to speak because in 2005 she was diagnosed with parkinson's disease Mm -hmm. And so yeah. for our listeners, can you let us know what Parkinson's is? And so you've been, you've been walking with your wife for the last 15 years through Parkinson's. So tell us what Parkinson's is, and will you also explain how that has progressed in the last 15 years? Well, Parkinson's disease is a, is a neurological disorder that begins in the deepest part of the brain, and it works its way out slowly. And you never know which portion of the brain that it's going to affect. With most people, they suffer from what's called tremors. And they'll tremor in uh, one limb, two limbs, sometimes all four legs, so on and so forth. Um, in some people, the progression is rapid. In hers, it was very slow. So like for a good many years since her diagnosis. And another thing I want to qualify here is that when I first heard about it, I did denied it. I said, uh, it must be wrong. You must be wrong. I went, I told a neurologist, I said, you must be wrong about this. So, I mean, the first thing they do is an MRI to, you know, because they can only diagnose this disease clinically. So it's through observation. So, um, she said, we're going to do the MRI 
and we'll see if there is anything else wrong that, that could be causing this. So they did that. And, uh, but they, they did find a mass or a tumor, but it's benign. So there's no issues there as far as we know, but, uh, she is definitely, she definitely has Parkinson's disease, but I, that's a reaction that I had in the beginning. And I think it's something that a lot of men, if you run into that, if you run into that, you're going to, that's going to be your thinking, you know, cause you don't want to see that happen. And the bottom line is it's happening. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, uh, as time has gone along, we used to do a lot of traveling internationally and so on and so forth. Our international kids I was telling you about, they'd invite us to their country. So we've been to Europe, we've been to South America, we've been to China and, uh, it's been great. It's been, you know, just a wonderful time. But now she's at a point where uh, she's, I'm going to say the last two years, it's getting harder and harder. Uh, last October, she had uh, DBS surgery. It's called deep brain stimulation surgery, which is they actually go into the brain and, and, and in place implant a device. And that is connected to something that you would see most people would call it a pacemaker under her shoulder blade, uh -huh. under her share of collarbone. And uh, that, I have the controller, it runs off an iPod, and I can control the amount of voltage she's getting to help her uh, with some of her movements and so wow. on and so forth. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing the stuff that they're coming up with. Um, but uh, she's at a point now where she needs a cane or a walker most of the time she's having falling episodes quite a bit lately. So the main thing is that she doesn't fall and really hurt herself. That's what you try to prevent, you know, that type of thing. So, so, so the Parkinson started with the tremors and it's mm -hmm. progressed. It's progressed to where she's limited in her mobility. She has uh, primarily her, her mobility limitation is in her legs and she's having a hard time. Once she gets walking straight, one thing you have to understand about Parkinson's or any neurological illness is that um, basically she has to tell her limbs to move where you and I, oh. it's an automatic. You don't have to think about it. Oh, okay. Or if you want to walk, if you want to walk faster, you just do it. You, you don't tell your brain, Hey, walk faster. You just do it, you know? And, but she has to, literally you know move in the direction where she's telling herself move faster or um like she had a knee replacement three years ago and it was a good operation she was solid in it so on and so forth but still as time has gone along with the illness she's been slowing down you know and uh but even around the house now she walked from one side of the house uh like normal and then the next minute if she's trying to make a turn, it's like her feet are frozen to the floor. She can't make the turn to the left or to the right. Oh, and wow. there's, there's, yeah, there's a certain amount of tremor involved in that. And I don't know what it is. Anyway, we're going up in, uh, on the 15th of June to see her neurologist and the guy from um, Abbott Labs that produces this particular uh, electronic device is going to be there to see if he can bring the adjustment in a little better so that, you know, she's functioning a little bit better on it. So will her uh, physical condition continue to regress or digress? Her 
physical condition will continue. To, there's no cure for Parkinson's. Yeah, what I know we're that. Doing now, what we're doing right now is a number of, uh, she's also on uh, the levodopa medication, the carbolevo medications, uh, which is basically the best way I can explain them is the way the neurologist did. He told her, Tony, don't think of them as meds. Think of them as gasoline that you're putting in your car. Because what the Parkinson's does, it depletes the dopamine in the brain. Hmm. So once they diagnose it, like when she was diagnosed with it back in 2005, it just a little tremor in her finger is all it was. They say that 90% of the dopamine is already depleted by that. Oh, wow. So there's, there, there's no way to... You can go to a yearly physical and get all that stuff done. There's no way they can tell if you've got it or not until you start to develop symptoms. By the time you develop the symptoms, 90% of the dopamine is already gone. So they give you, they put, they put you on the medication that starts replenishing the dopamine in your brain, you know? So she's been on that since 2005 shifted several times. They have a number of them. The one she's on right now is probably the strongest form that they have, you know? So, so, but, uh, Hey, yeah, well, so ahead. we're going to take a break here and hear from our sponsors. We're going to come right back. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org give us your email and we'll send you a free pdf version of the field guide it's jim's 365 day bathroom book for men it's the study of manly words in the bible illustrated with great stories this is also a great resource for all our arena men We'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast, including Jim's personal blog, prayer requests, and weekly boots-on-the-ground mission. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. So, so George, so is, does this shorten lifespan? Does Parkinson's short? No, it doesn't have anything to do. She, okay, uh, Billy, uh, Billy Graham had it. He died when he was. 99. Yeah, I didn't think yeah. it did, and so it doesn't affect cognitive function either. No speech, but it could affect cognitive function. Is my thinking? It could, but it rarely does. And so I don't know if that makes it worse or better. You know, because sometimes a person with Alzheimer's or my mom had dementia. You know, that would affect their cognitive function, you know, and then but the, the worst part of that disease is that you is the people that are dealing with it. The person that has it, I don't know where they're at. They don't know where they're at. Yeah. So, you know, but she's always aware of her surroundings and what's going on. And she's very alert. And we do things. You know, she does quite a bit of reading. Uh, we play cards. She likes to play cards. Canasta. So, you know, she likes to do stuff like that to keep herself occupied and busy. And so on and so forth. So, you know, the more of that she does, the better it is for her. And walking, you know, just take a walk for 15, 20 minutes a day, that type of thing. And that's why I wanted our but listeners. It isn't, yeah, it's not going to get any better. Yeah, I just wanted our listeners to, to realize the distinction between like Alzheimer's and dementia with Parkinson's, that those are, those are different in how they affect a person. One is more 
cognitive, mental, and one is more physical. But you know, you right. you said uh, earlier in the interview, you said that your wife, you described her as devoted and loyal and committed. You de- you described her as such. But as her her illness progresses, it seems like those roles would force you to reverse on some level. Not that she's going to lose that, but that you're going to have to increase your game to to assist her. Has that been happening? Yeah, because I have to be more devoted to her. I have to be more loyal to her, you know, and I just pray every day, Lord, you know, help me love my wife in the way that you want me to do. Uh, just, you know, just let me serve her in the way you want me to serve her. I mean, for better or for worse, with sickness and health. You know, when you take those vows, I'm going to tell you something. Everybody takes them with a certain grain of salt. For sure. For you know? sure. But but when you get there, until you get there, you don't really know what's going to happen at that point. And, and most people hope that they don't. But, you know, the bottom line is we get older and our bodies wear out and then we die. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just a given. Now, what might hit you? You know, and w- one of the things I like about men in the arena, because you've got a number of guys here that that like physical fitness stuff, love, like eating right, so on and so forth. Let me tell you, you won't know until you get older how much that's really helping you. It's like I was smoking. I smoked for until I was 37, 30 years old till I got sober, you know, and uh, started when I was 13 because I thought a pack of Lucky Strikes and my <laughs> T-shirt looked cool, uh-huh. you know, and and uh, but the thing of it is um, – Lord took those from me when I was like 38, 39 years, just took them. And I, I just praise God for it because I have seen more people, I, I think cigarettes and poor um, health habits like eating and so on and so forth are causing us bigger problems than what we're aware of. I've seen so many people with diabetes. I mean, it just, and I'm going to tell you, it, it, it's sad, man. I mean, it, it's, uh, but it, it, uh, you know, the old adage, you are what you eat. That's a fact. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, and I was always, you know, when I was younger in my forties and until I got too busy to really doing it anymore with the company and all that stuff. But, you know, I was running 50 miles a day or 50 miles a week. Wow. You know, uh, I was doing five K's, 10 K's. I, I wanted to run Boston, but you had to qualify in the Niagara Falls marathon to get there, you had to have a certain time for your age category. And I blew out my knee cause I pushed it too hard. Oh. So that, that, that was the end of my running days pretty much, but I enjoyed it. I, I hate stationary exercise, but I loved running because I love seeing things and watching things go by me, you know? So I just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's just me. You know, other people could lift weights all day long to me. That just bores the stew out of me. I just can't. <laughs> it's like torture it's like ah. torture to me well i was on a bike ride yesterday i did a double lap around uh bike rides are great about a yeah, 10 like mile it's a 10 great. mile loop and i did two of those and and it was pretty cool besides the guy telling me to f off coming at me <laughs> the young guy uh besides that guy or a couple weeks ago the guy that threw a full beer at me uh it was it was fun last week to dr- to ride my bike and th- th- there's a big bull snake in the road about a five foot long bull snake and I got a point down at him as a car drove by and they were giving me the thumbs up yeah uh, you know yeah. saw an elk the other day it's it, it's really really cool but but you know you draw up a good point you know a lot of these illnesses that we are seeing are our health these health these illnesses are are because of our diet and exercise and one of the things that we tell guys and George you're 73 
And really, you're not on the show today to talk to the guys your age. I, I want you on the show today to talk to the young guys and to, to, to tell our young guys, hey, guys, you never know what's going to happen in life. But, it, but if you can set the stage to be ready for that when it does happen, right? And so for yeah. you, you're saying, you're saying, hey, something's going to happen. We're all dying. <laughs> you know, what was you, what, you know, and so, you know, you're 73, you're in pretty good health. So tell, what would you tell these young guys listening? Just develop, you know, develop some healthy eating habits. I mean, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost and uh, that's pretty plain. Mm-hmm. That, that's pretty plain. You know, I don't think the apostle Paul was eating a Big Mac, you know what I mean? All the time. <laughs> but, but I mean, it, it, uh, to me, fast food is the worst. Even though I got to have one every now and then, I yeah. get a Big Mac attack. I got to have a Coca-Cola every now and then. I just do. You know, don't ask me why. I just like the belching and burping and the, you know, whatever it does to me that I like so much. Yeah. So I got to have one every once in a while. But I think things done in moderation are the way to go. But when I was in addiction, I didn't even know what the word moderation meant. Yeah. You know what I mean? I Moderation. It wasn't in my dictionary. That's not in my deal, you know, just go whole hog, go nuts, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, um, if you can, if you can bring yourself around to a point where physically and mentally, and I think the mental part is the most important part because that'll, that'll play into the, cause you played sports, you know, the biggest, you can only get so big and so strong, but the big part is the mental part. It's like, I play golf, you know, and I'm, I'm never going to get better with that swing than I'm already at. You can ask Goins about that, but the, you know, the bottom line is, is that it's a mental thing. When you start going wrong or off track, it's, it's in between your ears. So, you know, that's the thing that, you know, if you could bring that in line, Hey, and when you got Jesus, why can't you? Oh yeah. Well, fellow New Yorker, why, Yogi, why, why, fellow New Yorker, Yogi Berra once said 90% of everything is half mental. That's right. So it's He's true. absolutely right. I mean, you know, it's really funny if I, if uh, the eating thing for me is a, is a mental, it's a mental game. I don't need yeah. the food, right? I don't need the food, yeah. but it's a mental thing. And so you're absolutely right. So what do you wish somebody would have told you about marriage when you were in your 20s? <laughs> well, who, whoever I was running with in my 20s, they didn't know nothing about marriage or much anything else, really. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I, if I was in my 20s and I knew Jesus... I wish they would have told me all about what marriage really was, <laughs> you know, because well, I had no idea. I mean, th- this is the miracle of this whole thing, Jim and Dale, is I started out on the wrong foot, altogether all messed up, had no idea what marriage was, had no idea what, what it meant to be a father or a husband. My daddy was alcoholic. You know, he drove my mother crazy. They split up when I was senior in high school and so on and so forth. I was pretty much on my own after that. Uh, I had no idea what those things meant. All I know is that my wife and I, we were in love. I think, uh, I, you, you know, I was probably more in lust than I was in love. Yeah. You know, I mean, I didn't know what love was, to be honest with you. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't. Uh, I thought it was just a physical thing and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, I had no idea. Uh, what marriage was all about. And, uh, but eventually I learned, you know, and, and I learned through my friend, Neil, I wish he'd have been around when I was 20, 21 years old. And uh, 
But the, the bottom line is I probably wouldn't have listened to him anyway. Mm. You know, in those days, I look at my life in those days, I probably would not have listened to that stuff. But uh, in any case, um, like I told you earlier, I wish what would have happened to me early on, maybe back when I was in my teens, that Christ would have come into my life back then. You know, and that I've been around men yeah. that were real men, not just maniacs. I mean, that's who I hung around with, maniacs. You know, and they had no more idea of what a marriage was than anything else. Um, you know, but uh, what I tell people today, I said, you know, eh, put as much time planning your marriage as you do planning your wedding. Mm-hmm. You know, because... That wedding stuff is okay and it's fun and it's a family thing and it's, you know, so on and so forth. But um, I said, really, you know, know what you're getting into and understand that as as a Christian, you're making a covenant between the two of you and God. And that's really vital. Because, uh, you know, the other thing that guys forget, too, is that you don't want your prayers hindered if you are praying. Mm -hmm then be right with your wife. Don't do wrong by her. Be faithful to her. Love her no matter what. You know, it took my wife and I 20 years to become best friends. That's 20 about, years. Yeah. That's about how long it took my wife and I as well. Yeah. And then I realized she's my best friend. What yeah. am, how would I treat my best friend? Would I treat my best friend the way I've treated her over the years? I wouldn't treat, I wouldn't treat, uh, you know, what's his name? I wouldn't treat a serial killer that way, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the stuff I pulled on her. Yeah. You know, and I and I began to realize, man, but, it, you know, it's it's all for me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God's grace. And I can tell you unequivocally that today I know he won't love me any more than he did yesterday and tomorrow. And he loves me today. Mm-hmm. You know, it. it, it I may fall short like I always do. I may not do uh, what I'm supposed to do and so on and so forth. But I know this. He loves me no matter what. you know. And I know he's proud of me when I take care of my wife. That's a powerful statement. I know he's proud of me when I take care of my wife. You know, when I was a, a young guy, I got married. Most, most wedding vows include this statement. Do you promise to have her in sickness and in health until death do you part? But when you're a 20, I was 26 and I got married. My son Darby is getting married. He's in, he's, the date was the 24th of July. They're going to put it off for a year. But, you know, when they say these words as tw- young 20 somethings, very healthy, they don't think about what it really means. The real implication of saying, I vow to take care of you in sickness and in health. They should do that backwards in health because it's going to be healthy for a while and then sickness and then sickness for a while. What are your thoughts on well, that? You, well, you you may very well live out your lives in relatively decent health. I know couples that have done that. You know, that was our expectation, you know. Everybody has this vision, too, of, of dying in bed, I guess. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> Message in uh, a bottle, but, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not that I saw that. But the bottom line is, the big shortcoming young people have is they ain't never been old. Yeah, yeah. And that's a fact. And And... I don't expect them to, when they take those vows, I don't expect them to have the full impact on them that it will have on down the line. 
because you're going to run into storms. You're going to run into combative situations where those vows, like my wife used to say, honey, that's all that kept me there. Mm. That's all that kept me there. You know, and I love you, but I don't like you very much. Well, what have you learned over the years, George? Uh, and we see this a lot in Hollywood. We see this a lot with younger couples. What have you learned and what can you tell our younger guys? Most of our guys listen to this are between 30 and 45. What could you tell these guys about falling? And what have you learned about falling in love versus rising into love? Well, I believe you fall in love after marriage and you fall in love with your wife. And for a, for all the good, all the bad, it don't matter. She doesn't have to fit you. See, the thing of it is when you're just dating or you're just going out or whatever you're doing, you're just having sex. You're always putting your best foot forward. Yeah. You know, so when you're together now and you got to live together, guess what? (laughs) (laughs) You get to find out who you really are. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's in a Christian marriage or whatever, you know, and usually the most critical portion of time is the first five years. You know, but I'm going to tell you something. You got it into your head that you're going to cheat on your wife. Let me tell you something. You think it's green around the, the grass is green around the other side. I give you one reason for it. The devil fertilizes it with a lot of manure. <laughs> that, hey, you know, it's really funny. We did a mancation with my boys this weekend. They're 22, 24, and 26. And we went a, did a fishing, uh, shooting sage rats of Eastern Oregon deal. And we were sitting down, and, and one of my sons is engaged, and the other one is is very very serious in a relationship and i said boys listen if you're going to be committed to this woman you realize you keep that thing in your pants it's only for her the rest of your life and if you're not willing to make that commitment do not get married because ramoses are not cheaters we are going to be faithful and i think that's a key thing is that and i you know i don't know about you but you know my wife and i've been married you know like i said we've been together 29 30 years and i'm still chasing around the house this whole mentality of you got to drive a lot of cars, that's garbage. It's a lie. It's just not true. Uh, and so that's really good, man. So so what did so now when I talk about rising love, rising in love, uh, George, I'm talking about falling in love with your wife through working and serving and giving, rising, doing things that don't that aren't coasting and gliding like falling, but rising in love is an effort. What would you like to say to our guys about the effort of loving? Well, number one, pray together with your wife. Spend time in prayer. You know, you're not praying with your wife. You're going backwards. Mm-hmm. You know, do do some time in the Bible with your wife and so on and so forth. Encourage her in things that she wants to do, if it's a good thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if she told me today that she wanted to go spend time down at the casino, I probably wouldn't encourage that. <laughs> no. But, you know, it, it, it. but the stuff that's good, you, and you know what's good today. It's not rocket science, for goodness sakes, you know, things that she wants to do, you know. I mean, I was planning on doing more international traveling the last few years, but bottom line is she just can't right now, you know, and I don't know if she ever will. Yeah. I don't know if she'll ever get there. But uh, she's, like I told you before, that rising in love comes a day at a time. I don't know how to explain it, but you're both growing towards the Lord. The Lord is in your midst. I know he could heal her bang like that instantly. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know that for a fact, but right now he's saying no. Okay. And I've got to accept that. I have to accept that. I don't need to get all upset about it and 
you know, say, why not? And so, you know, all I need to do is read the book of Job and we can both get into that. Mm-hmm. You're going to find out a lot of things in there, you know? So, but you know, I, that the little thing, it's the little things that you learn. You know, I love the sound of her laugh. I love to make her laugh and the sound of her voice laughing. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's magic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, there, there's nothing else like it in the whole world. Just, uh, just my wife laughing at something crazy that I just said or something like that, or watching me do something. You know, it's those little things that pile up like little memorial stones in your marriage. You know, as you go along through oh. life, you know, and you raise up those little memorials to things that have happened. You know, like our our, our my oldest daughter. You know, she got married and then she got divorced and then. Eventually, she got remarried to the same man, and they're doing fine now, serving Jesus, you know, loving to pieces. But, you know, uh, but basically what, what drove them apart to begin with was was their own personal ambitions and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. It wasn't, wasn't anything to do like drinking or drugs like I got involved in. It was just those types of things. Yeah. Uh, a few others, but uh, praise God, they got back together. You know, I, and I'll tell you something. My wife, she kept praying through. She kept praying. There was a point where I got to her. I said, this ain't going to happen. You know, they ain't going to get back. But she kept praying through. And guess what? They got to, they got back together. Yeah. So praise God. It's all, Brother Jim, it's all about Jesus. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know, it's all about. I wish I could tell. I've, I've said this before and people look at me funny. But really, if you get Jesus right, no matter what circumstances come your way, everything will work out. And that's when I say circumstances, I mean, life is, is an ugly mess. Life is tough. Life is difficult. Life wears you out. So I'm not saying life will be perfect. I'm not a prosperity guy at all, but I'm saying that if you get Jesus right, he will give you the strength and the commitment to over overcome and to, to walk through these, you call them storms of life. So what, what advice we we're, we're done here today, uh, Georgia, but I want to leave with one last question. What advice would you give our younger guys about marriage and life's unplanned circumstances? Well, if you're looking for marriage, be careful of who you pick. (laughs) There's a lot of picking you can do out there, but be careful of who you pick and uh, make sure she loves God. Make sure you marry a Christian. The Apostle Paul didn't make that statement to be not yoked unequally with one another because he was trying to hurt anybody's feelings. That's a fact. Yes. Because if you're not growing in the same direction with God from day one, you're growing apart. It's that simple, you know, and don't let your personal ambitions come before your wife or your family. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen because it may work out okay for you, but it's not going to work out okay for everybody else. There's going to be a price to pay for that, you know. Yeah, that's really so good. So don't let that get in the way. Don't let that get in the way. Try to, you know, try to live balanced in terms of your time spent with your family and, and so on. And so if I had to do all over again, man, I'd do it a whole lot different with my kids than where we're at today. But, you know, it's turned out okay. It's turned out okay. Yeah. You know, but but you got you have to know how to be a husband and father before you do it. An example is everything. You know, I learned by watching. I, I can do, I, I read voraciously. I was, I was like you when I was younger. I, for goodness sakes, I read the Tibetan and Egyptian book of the dead. Who reads that kind of stuff, man? <laughs> oh, you know, that's the kind of stuff you go to sleep on. Yeah. But, 
you know, but it's, we learn by watching, I think, predominantly above anything else, how people do it and so on and so forth. And like I told you before, my friend Neil showed me how to be a good husband. He showed me how to be a good father. He didn't tell me. He showed me how it's done. And I spent enough time to round with him to know that it was real. And he was by no means perfect. But by golly, he had, you know, he had something I didn't have. What he had that I didn't have was the Holy Ghost. <laughs> that's yeah. the bottom line no i pre- i appreciate that and i i appreciate uh, you taking the time today to come on and share your story and make sure you say hi to annette for us love to see her face to face one of these times and so uh thanks for coming on today george and you are truly one of our arena arena heroes thank you <laughs> thank you jim hey guys what's next what action step are you going to take because of today i've been listening to george speak and share about his uh, lovely wife and their challenges but I'm trying to bottom line this thing, and here's what I'm going to challenge you guys to do. I want you to find your friend Neil. Find a Neil. Is there a guy out there who's a little bit ahead of you? Maybe he's experienced more. Maybe he's been married longer. Who is out there who can help you to love your wife better in sickness and in health until death do you part? Guys, we'll also post the boots in the ground in our equipping blast that you can get on our website. But Dale, before we leave, man, what's next, brother? What what do we got to know now? Yeah, I would like to ask you guys to go to meninthearena.org and click on the link for the free t-shirt. We have a limited amount of them, but we want to get them out there. There's no point in them being on our cupboard. So, no. so uh, fill that out. We'll shoot you a shirt out as long as the your size and styles and supplies last. So do that right away. Until next time. Fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. Love your wife. Men in the Arena is a nonprofit, crowdfunded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. We're able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, plus our small group resources to the three M's, active military, missionaries, and men in underdeveloped nations. This could only happen because of a large group of generous donors like you. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at meninthearena.org. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.